The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good morning. I want to thank Pastor Ermler and Mrs. Ermler for the hospitality already extended to me. Been very much looking forward to being here with you, not only today, but for the next two Sundays as we explore this very important subject of finances. You know, the world has plenty to say about the subject. There's actually, there's over 276 million hits when you Google how to manage money. 276 million. So for those that can read fast and you can read a web page in three minutes, the good news is this will only take you 4,313 years. <laughs> get get cracking. But really, the question is, do we really need all of that information? Let me ask you all a question. How many here would agree that you are aware of the simple financial rules of how not to go broke? Spend less than you earn, save some money, and avoid debt. You all ought to raise your hand now because I just gave them to you. How many of you are familiar with those simple rules? Very good. Let me ask you another question. How many of you would say that you know the simple rules how to lose weight? Raise your hand. No, we'll raise your hand. Okay, I'll give them to you. Thank you, young man. You're honest. Okay. Two simple rules. Eat right and exercise. Now, how many of you know the simple rules of losing weight? So here's another question. If the rules to avoid going broke are simple and the rules to lose weight are simple... Why are so many Americans being financially stressed and gaining weight? Hmm. How is it with money? Well, as a matter of fact, I believe that my wife's homemade donut holes that are gluten-free are actually delicious. And so since I believe that they're delicious, I consume them. And I tell myself I'll just exercise two more days to burn those off. We all have different beliefs. It's interesting. Even in a church this size, we read the same Bible. We have the same pastor. We have the same doctrine. Oh, but when it comes to money, if I took a poll, we'd have about as many perspectives and money as there are people in this auditorium. Our beliefs and our our actions come from our belief. How we are with money comes from the heart. So... If we desire to have more peace in this area of money and actually replace stress with peace, replace anxiousness and fear and concern with joy, we would do well to look at God's Word. God's Word contains over 2,300 verses on the subject of money, riches, and possessions. 15% of the recorded words of Christ are on this subject. That's a lot. So where do we begin? When you notes, I, I believe that where we begin is having an understanding of God's ownership. This, for many folks, is, is a struggle. Will you turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 24.1? Probably a verse that you've heard before. Good to hear pages flipping and iPads tapping. Psalm 24.1. 
I teach fifth grade boys and so they're always quick to say, here. So is anybody here yet? Here. Okay. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So if we're going to em- embrace some foundational truth, how many would you say that this is a pretty easy bu- uh, truth to, to believe? Anybody? Three of us believe that the earth is the Lord. Well, amen. <laughs> the earth is the Lord. The fullness there, thereof. What that actually refers to is everything. So this is a fairly easy truth to believe and to embrace. And what does that mean in our daily lives? I acknowledge that the world is the Lord's. Well, that person that was rude to you in the store belongs to the Lord. The driver that cut you off on the road belongs to the Lord. That brat that wants to date your daughter belongs to the Lord. Doesn't mean we need to uh, hug trees, but number one, we need to acknowledge that God owns everything. But here's what I want you to take away this morning. God takes really good care of everything that he creates. Just an example, a quick example. He knew to place the earth 93,400,000 miles away from the sun. If we were closer, we would burn. If we were farther, we would freeze. Cue Disney Frozen song right there. I know it's stuck in your head. But he takes care of his creation. 10,000 different species of birds... And there are new species discovered every year. Why? Well, for our enjoyment, but also notice this. We learn in Matthew 6, remember how Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount uses the example for us not to worry or to be anxious. Consider the fowl of the air. Modern day um, translation, they don't have to have jobs. They don't have to balance budgets. They don't have to build houses. Your father cares for them and knows when one falls to the ground. Here's a question. And Jesus asked this as well. Are we not more important than a bird? God doesn't want fellowship with 10,000 different birds. He wants fellowship with you. So if birds don't have to stress, why do we stress? Sometimes we kind of wear it as a badge. I'm pretty good at stressing. I'm going to level up next week. (laughs) Why do we do that? Well, notice letter B. We belong to the Lord. Maybe in your notes, but turn with me to 1 Corinthians, a familiar passage. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. If we're not careful, this verse, which should be very familiar to us, we may just look at it from an eternal perspective. And we need more eternal perspective nowadays and in other areas of our lives. But let's, let's look at what the Word of God says. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and what are the next five words? Ooh. Hey, the flesh resists those five words today. You are not your own. Letter B in your notes, uh, you ought to be able to write the word I. I belong to the Lord. And the Bible says you are not your own. Doesn't that go against our grain? We, we like to be autonomous, self-sufficient. 
I got this. I'm going to handle this problem. I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to, I, I, I. But let's not miss the significance of what it means to belong to the Lord. We don't want to dismiss this as being either symbolic or for eternity only. It's a wonderful thing to know that you belong to the Lord. As a matter of fact, verse 20, For ye are bought with a price. How many of you this morning are thankful you are bought with a price? A price you cannot pay. You can't redeem your brother. You can't redeem yourself. We are bought with a price. So then we know by faith, we trust that our soul, which we cannot see, is kept in the hand of the Father whom we cannot see. And that requires faith. We're going to go back to that uh, here in a moment, but it requires that kind of, of faith. And it's God's plan that we live by faith. So what does it mean? There's, there's a lot of implications and, and significance to the fact that we belong to God. When you acknowledge, because you can't change the truth, but when you acknowledge the truth that you actually belong to the Lord, then you also acknowledge and need to acknowledge and embrace that your spouse belongs to the Lord. Your children belong to the Lord. Your home, your car, your career your bank account. Scratch record. Well, hold on. You had me till money. No, he owns it all. And it's a good thing. Don't let your flesh resist that. Let's look at all the benefits of acknowledging that God owns me and owns everything. One, he protected my family that lives three hours from here. I did not protect them. God provided for all of us. In James 1, we learn that every gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights in whom there is no varying, neither shadow of turning. Everything we have is from the Lord, and He's a good God. But let's also notice that if I belong to God, and I do, then my problems, my trials belong to God. Is that a good thing? I belong to God. I'm God's property. I have a challenge. God owns it. Who better to handle that challenge? You or God. First Peter 5.7 The Bible says casting some of your care upon him. Maybe that's in your notes. The Bible says casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. But I wonder how often we resist that and perhaps we don't have that view that you indeed and I belong to God. We like to take those burdens back on ourselves where God says casting them upon him. He's the owner. And here's a little visual, just an example. The owner bears the burden. I put this hat on because you and I tend to put the owner's hat on. I own this. This is my problem. I got to work this out. I'm going to stress over it. I'm going to worry over it. But the owner bears the burden. We're not the owners. If we can acknowledge that, think of what the level of peace of mind can increase in your own life and, and value and appreciate the Savior all the more because we belong to Him. And yes, our bank accounts belong to Him. Everything belongs to him. But don't listen to the lie that, oh, if I acknowledge that he owns a bank account, he's going to take it all. We don't find that to be scripturally so. 
As a matter of fact, uh, we read in, in Luke, Jesus speaks saying, He that is faithful in least is faithful in much. He that is unjust in least is unjust also in much. God's concerned with your heart. Are you going to be faithful with what he trusts you with? If so, you are a vessel that he can use and he can entrust with more. But if you're unjust in what he's already entrusted you with, he knows that you're going to be unjust with more. So why give you more? So we we have an understanding of ownership. And while there are several points this morning, I have asked my own pastor, I said, Pastor, when you, when you teach a, a sermon, I'm there with you and, and God's speaking to me and I'm following along, but by the time I get to the car, I forgot the whole sermon. He says, you know, that, that's common, don't worry about that, I don't want you to memorize the sermon, but get one or two truths from it. And that's my desire this morning, too, that you would get one or two truths that the Lord would lay on your heart. And one of these main things is to really acknowledge true ownership. We live in a society that says, it's all about me, and it's all about more. And your pastor has been preaching that in last week as well, and, and the uh, money can be an idol. Can we just acknowledge and surrender and, and give it to the Lord and enjoy the benefits of his ownership? He takes care of all that he creates. He takes care of the birds, doesn't want fellowship with them. He wants fellowship with you and he will take care of you. And he's got a plan if we do things his way. And his way is not burdensome. God is good and his word is good. Let's look at his word. Number two, we'll, we'll look at understanding stewardship. So before we approach the subject of budgeting, let's call that the how-to, it's certainly more beneficial for us to get a foundation of, a, of the beliefs as we looked at earlier. Our actions come from our beliefs. If we, have, if we embrace biblical beliefs, then we'll have biblical actions. We'll honor the Lord and have more peace in our lives. And we want to seek the mind of Christ. The the scripture that the pastor read this morning, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Did you notice that word there, required? You know, in, in Paul's letters to the Corinthians and to, and to the Romans, as he lists out various gifts and various callings, he's called some to be evangelists, pastors, preachers, and, and some have the gift of compassion. Do you notice that we don't see the word uh, stewardship there as a gift? or a calling. I've heard some people say, well, I just don't have uh, the gift of, of leading others to the Lord. It's, it's not, that's not a gift. Neither is stewardship. Steward, the Christian life is stewardship. You belong to the Lord. Everything he's entrusted you with, he's called you to be faithful. We jokingly talked about our health, yet we're called to be faithful with this body, which is now the temple, not the Ark of the Covenant, this body, your body, is now the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you. He's called us to be faithful with our health. What else? Uh, just pop it out there. Just quickly shout out. What else has been entrusted with, to you, to me, that God's called you to be faithful with? A faithful steward. Children, yes. Train up a child in the way that he should go. We, dads, moms, we're responsible for uh, nurturing our, our children in the love and admonition of the Lord. Very good. Children, what else? Tick, tock. Tick, tock, time. We're going to be faithful stewards of time. We're going to look at that in a little uh, in depth further, but we've been given today 
to serve the Lord, to honor the Lord, redeeming the time for the days are evil. What else have we been given? Opportunities. Yes, opportunities. We've been given the gospel. We're to be faithful stewards of the gospel and not hide it under a bushel. We're to be faithful stewards of the gospel. So, my friend, the Christian life is stewardship. But we have God's power and God's word to help us be faithful stewards. Letter A, acknowledge that, again that God is the owner and we are the steward. Everything that you've mentioned here and more, we've been called to be stewards. Now, the definition of a steward is one who has been put into the trust with the assets or the affairs of another. So instead of the owner's hat, we are to wear the manager hat. I managed jewelry stores in the late 80s and 90s, and while I was responsible for millions of dollars worth of gold and diamonds, I did not go home fretting over it. I was not the owner. I'm the manager. There were times where diamonds were stolen, and thieves would come in and break through and steal. I did not stress that. I'm not the owner. I was the manager. It's, it's someone else's. But I was called to be Faith, a faithful manager. Do everything that I've been taught. Follow the manual and be faithful with the merchandise, with the employers and employees and follow the guidelines. Remember, the owner bears the burden. And quite often, again, unless we are intent on this, we're going to put the owner's hat on and we're going to worry. We're going to try to uh, we're going to try to figure it out ourselves. We are the managers. And, we, and we, you can live out that truth with our wallets as well. God owns it and he's given everything to us. We're going to have a lot more peace in this area. We're going to be able to be used of God more in this area as well. We are managers of his resources. And what does that look like in our daily life? Well, our approach should be as Matthew 6, verse 10, Jesus teaching us, teaching the disciples the model of prayer. If we're to start every day and have a, a heart that truly says, Lord, I'm looking forward to your kingdom. Lord, I want your will to be done, not mine. If we're not careful in the busyness of the day, we get, up just enough in, we get up with just enough time to get our much-needed coffee, get dressed, hopefully color-coordinated, and we start doing our will by some of our patterns. But here's God's plan. If with all your heart you say, Lord, I'm yours and that's awesome. You've got a plan. Your plan is much better than my plan. As a matter of fact, you say that your ways are not my ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You're much more capable than I am. Can I get an amen? Your will be done. And then be willing to follow him and to do his will. He will guide you. That's how we as managers can be faithful by being willing and seeking and yielding to God's will versus, well, this is what I desire to do. This is what I'm going to do. And, and then I'll ask the Lord to support me on this. <clears throat> but we see in letter C, we will give an account. 
We've been given a lot of latitude in this area of money, yet we've been given principles and truth. And it really is up to us to honor him and to obey. However, there will be a day where we will give an account. Just as I was a manager for a company, every time that district manager would visit, I'd have to give an account for everything. Did I follow the company guidelines? Did I follow the employee handbook? 2 Corinthians 5.10, this is written to Christians, listen here, for we must, what's the next word? All appear, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Pause just for a moment. This is not the white throne judgment where God is going to judge the lost and the saved. This is our accountability before our Savior Jesus Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, giving an account, according to that he hath done. For those of you that are there in Scripture, what are the next six words? Whether it be good or bad, what do you mean bad? We're in heaven. Everything's good and perfect and no sin and everything. Why? What's with the bad? We are going to give an account. All these resources that we've been entrusted with that you've helped me shout out, we've been given responsibility to be faithful with time, our family, our financial resources, the gospel. Now's the time of accountability. And at that moment, please use your imagination and think of it for a moment. You're before your Savior. King of kings, Lord of lords. And the only light in heaven is his glory. No sun, no fluorescent light. You're standing there giving an account for everything you have done, I have done in our lives. We'll know the wasted times. We'll know the wasted opportunities. We'll know the times where we held on out of fear and we didn't give. We didn't obey the impulse of the Holy Spirit because of our own fears. We didn't tell a neighbor about the Savior because we were worried about what they would think. And now we're seeing souls being banished to eternity in hell and we're going to know. You're going to know. And you can't say, time out. Can I just kind of go down there and fix some things? We'll give an account whether it's good or bad. Well, what, is it, what happens with, with the bad? Yes, we are forgiven and we are saved from the wrath of God. But it's important for us to know that it's not just about being saved, living our lives the way that, that we want to. How many of you have ever done this? You've, you've looked at your life as a feature film starring you. You're the camera. Everyone else is supporting cast. And you, you live this movie to uh, the fullest. And at the end of the movie, boom, you're in heaven. God's got a lot more in pla- uh, in, planned for you and for I and for myself. And that's why he gives us so much guidance. It's good for us to keep in mind we will give an account. And today is the day to be faithful. Today is the day to be a faithful steward the good and the bad, we've been given opportunities to earn rewards and then we will possibly lose rewards for the things that we've done that are bad. That gives us pause to ask every day, Lord, am I doing your will? What do you want me to do with this, with this resource? And then number three, notice, we need an understanding of the importance of beliefs. Letter A, our actions flow from our beliefs. Here's another example. If someone believes that 
traffic laws are there to protect you and me, then they're going to honor the stoplight. For those that disrespect the law, they don't believe that the law applies to them. They're going to run the lights, and they do. Because your actions flow from your beliefs. If you believe that coffee is good for you, then bless God, you'll have three cups of coffee. Amen. If you believe that dark chocolate lowers your blood pressure and extends your life expectancy by nine minutes for every ounce of chocolate, you're going to eat some dark chocolate. So it's an important to understand and get the right beliefs and, and letter B, our beliefs come from the heart. Plenty of scripture. Um, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We want to get our beliefs in line with Scripture. Letter C, money is a matter of the heart. We see a, a, a real life example real quickly. Uh, two very rich men seek out Jesus. First, in Matthew 19, as a rich young ruler brings his entourage, meets the Savior and says, Good master, what must I do to be saved? I can't help but think that maybe he was a little arrogant... Maybe wanted to show off among his peers because Jesus responds basically in keeping the commandments. And he says, I've done this since my childhood. What lack I yet? Well, this is what you lack. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Oh, I wasn't expecting that one. And the Bible says he went away sad because he had great riches. Who was his God? Riches. He met the Savior. He had the opportunity for salvation, but he loved his stuff. And he's dead now. And his soul, we don't hear that he ever repented. We can assume that he is in hell and his riches perished with him. But we see in Luke 19 another rich young man. And he was despised, he was hated because the way that he got his riches was overcharging you. He was the chief of publicans. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree. Kids, who am I talking about? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He sought out Jesus to see who he was. And we see a difference in the heart. Jesus came right up to the tree. He wasn't expecting that. His heart beating. Never met before. And Jesus called him by name and said, I'm going to dine with you today. I'm going to eat with you. What were, what were Zacchaeus' words? Do you remember? Lord, first of all, Lord, half of everything I have I give to the poor and if I've overcharged anyone falsely, I'll repay fourfold. Notice the change in his heart. Prior to meeting Jesus, he loved riches. Now he met Jesus. Jesus didn't say, you're wicked. You need to dethrone your money, God. You need to give everything to the poor and follow me. He didn't have to do that. The change was already evidence. The outward manifestation of the inward change in his heart was, Lord, I give. Money is a matter of the heart. And we all would do well to acknowledge that daily and examine our own hearts. And we're going to look at that in, in more depth in the, next, in the coming two Sundays. So now that we've laid a foundation, a strong biblical foundation pertaining to our hearts of the matter, acknowledging real ownership regardless of what our flesh tells us and what stewardship is, let's now look at a Bible-centered approach to budgeting. What does that look like in our lives? What's the first step? Well, the first step, number one, is to honor the Lord with thy substance. What does that mean? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. 
Proverbs chapter 3. And actually, let's start with verse 5. I bet some of you have this memorized. Proverbs 3, 5. It begins, trust in the Lord. What's the rest? With all thine heart. What's next? Good. Uh, verse 6. Now, this is Old Testament, right? This is just history, poetry. Or does this apply today? How many of you uh, look at this promise and pray this and say this to the Lord for yourself? How many of you look at this, the wisdom of Solomon by inspiration of, of, script, of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to trust in the Lord. This is what you're supposed to do first. I'm to trust in the Lord and I'm supposed to not lean on my own understanding. And then what's the next thing I'm supposed to do? In all of my ways in life, acknowledge him. And then what's the promise? He'll direct our paths. Is that true today? Raise your hand. It is true today. Absolutely. All scripture is profitable. Well, let's go down in the same proverb here, the same chapter, just a couple of verses. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all thine increase. This is our part. If you do this, then here's a promise. Verse 10. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses burst out with new wine. This isn't now, sometimes here we say, oh yeah, but that's Old Testament. Well, wait a second. So was the other promise. It's still true today. Before the law, there's always been first fruits. An agricultural term, because there were many farmers during this day when this was, when this was written, when folks would grow their crops, boy, that early and that first crops, those were the best. The Lord says, give that to me. Why are you trying to take my best? No, no, no. You give me the best to show your love for me and that you trust me, and I'm going to provide for you. The stated purpose in Scripture for the tithe is so that we may learn to fear the Lord our God always. It's a wonderful thing to give. And as a matter of fact, God's wisdom and God's economy is opposite of ours. We think, and we can even have family put pressure on us saying, well, if you give, you'll have less. God says, no, he that gives, well, you'll have more. I'm going to provide for you. Need a volunteer. I think uh, we have Mr. Nathan. Nathan, come on up, Nathan. Make haste, but don't trip. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 9 and get a marker ready so that you can mark this promise that is often overlooked. And time is ticking quickly, but I, I really want to show you this. Get a pen ready. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 and 10. I'll read verse 8. But as you read with me, notice some of these words here are called absolute words. They are strong, unchanging words. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, you see a pattern there, may abound to every good work. It's talking to givers here. And in verse 10, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower. This is where we overlook what this means. Seed is God, the, he that ministereth seed, that's God, who gives money to the giver. Nathan, we're going to role play and I'm going to assume that you are a, a man of God who has a heart to give and you trust the Lord. Okay, so I'm not God. I'm just role playing here. He that ministereth seed to the sower. Okay, hold out your hand. God's providing seed. This is money to give and you are the giver. Okay, so you have a heart to give, so you give to the Lord first. You don't have to give that all. I'm sorry. Just give some. 
you leave yourself, you're going to do a reverse tithe. You're going to tithe yourself and give 90%. Take a little bit more. Uh, okay. Oh, there's, a, there's a, a visiting missionary right there. God lays on your heart, so you can toss him a, ch- a chocolate. We wouldn't do that in church, but to- toss him a chocolate. Okay? There's, there's needs, and you are the giver. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower... My page flipped, didn't it? Okay. <laughs> Both ministereth bread for your food. So wait a second. Your friends and your family are going to say, if you give, you're not going to have enough to take care of your family. God who gives money to the giver, both ministereth bread for your food. He's going to feed you. Here's a burrito. (laughs) But don't miss the truth. God promises to provide for you. You give, he's the giver of all things. And how many of you have figured out that God is not going to run out of resources? He can't. We give. He's going to work through that giver. He's going to feed the giver. It's right there in your Bibles. Please underline that. Both minister with bread for your food and what's next? Multiply your seed sown. Whoa, here's more. You can keep giving. Both minister with bread for your food. He's going to provide for you. Don't listen to the lie that if you give, you'll have less. Solomon wrote, there is that scattereth, like Nathan's doing, and yet increaseth. And there is those that withhold more than is right, and that tends to poverty. There's another promise here. And multiply your fruits of righteousness. He blesses you for giving. He's blessing those that you give to because you're being a part of someone's answer to prayer. You bless the Lord, and you're going to store up treasure in heaven. You get to keep the chocolates. Let's thank Nathan. Number two, pay the Lord what is his, the tithe. It's, it's the Lord's. Now, lest we think at any time God needs our money, we can look at Psalm 50, verse 12. The Lord says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Don't listen to the lie. Don't think for a moment God needs our money. No, no. We need the work that God desires to do in our hearts when we put him first. In Western civilization, we have the tendency to get the paycheck and we take care of all of our bills first. And if there's something left afterwards, we may give to the Lord. You know, in the Bible reports such uh, giving in Malachi where they snuffed at giving. They scoffed at it. And they gave stolen goats and the blind and the the lame goats. Really? You're going to give that to the Lord? We give to the Lord first, trust him to provide for us because guess what? That takes faith and that's how he works because when he does provide for you beyond your understanding, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. That's how he works so that he can get the glory, not us. Number three, pay yourself. Amen, preach it right there. Proverbs 21.20, Wisdom of Solomon. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but the fool spendeth it up. Which are you? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) You're either wise because you're saving or you're the fool because you spend it every time you get it. So it's biblical to pay yourself. And we're going to talk more about that specifically and in details tonight. I encourage you to come back tonight as we will actually go through a little worksheet together. And I'll show you how to find dollars there. You can save. And the Bible admonishes you to do that. Number four, we're talking about a biblical approach to money management. Purchase according to your needs. Now, here's where we need to be transparent with the spouse and the Lord, the difference between a want and a need. You know, February comes around, you got the Super Bowl, I mean Valentine's Day, honey, and you know, there's that 70-inch TV screen. I know you're wanting for the big game. I mean for girl movies. Um, 
needs, not want. And so here's a principle in Matthew 6 again, the Lord's Prayer. If we can truthfully and from our heart pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, not our month's worth of supplies. Costco! Um, you know where he first taught us this? And again, he taught us this even today to depend on him. Oh, how about in Exodus when the children of, of Israel are in the desert and God provides manna? How much manna did they get to gather up? One day's worth. Good thing I wasn't there. I got a little Hebrew blood in me. I think I'm pro pro probably from the tribe of Benjamin. I would be uh, opportunistic and I would try to gather up two or three and sell it for extremely high prices to my friends. That would be me. But what did God say if you tried to hold more? Turned to worms and they did. Why? So that we depended daily on God. That hasn't changed. He still wants us depending completely on Him. So this helps our purchasing, folks. If you're, when you're just transparent with your spouse and with the Lord, Lord, you've given me salvation. I don't deserve anything else. If I have food and raiment, I'm content. Anything above that is a huge blessing. Would you just provide for us uh, our daily bread today. I'm not praying for early retirement. I'm not praying for three months worth. Can you imagine walking in your pantry tomorrow and everything you overbought is worms? Nice, huh? <laughs> we'll pray that God provides for you our daily bread. Number five, as we're wrapping up, save for major purchases. If it's worth having, it's worth saving for. And guess what? As you save, that gives you time to make sure that it's not an impulse why? Save. What's the principle? Well, in uh, Proverbs 16, 11, we see that strong man retaineth uh, riches. So you save for something. It's kind of hard to have treasure and oil in your house if you're not a saver. And you value things more when you, when you save up for it versus what's the opposite? Impulse buying or using credit. Number six... This is a principle here. Don't make financial decisions based on the assumption that finances will improve in the future. Two areas, notably here in the last five years, where people have made that error in the housing market and in cars, right? We get sold uh, a bigger house than we really ought to. Maybe romantically we're just really attached to that house. And maybe the guy said, oh, don't worry about it. You can refinance. I know it's a high payment. It'll be a high payment in five years, but you can refinance it. Real estate always goes up. Really? Those who made that financial decision based on an assumption of the future got hurt. And we have to be careful too, uh, especially with uh, new cars, you get that new car smell. And then you start rationalizing, well, I'm due for a, for a, uh, a raise and I could probably take on a second job. And, it, and if we skip every other uh, Wednesday's dinner, I think we can make this car payment. And we make assumptions and we hurt ourselves Luke 14, 28 reminds us, which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and count the cost whether you have sufficient to finish it. Sometimes we make emotional decisions. It's not the Lord's will that we make emotional decisions, but we seek counsel. Number seven, do not take out loans for depreciative items. Proverbs 22, 7 admonishes us, the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Anybody want to, yeah, I want to be a slave. Let's start today. I'm an overachiever. I can do a good job being a slave. Anybody? 
I think I want to make that company 27% while I make one half a percent over here in the bank. We're not careful. It, debt is easy to use, easy to get into, but so hard to get rid of. And, and the principles are clear. Ecclesiastes 5.5. 5, Better is it that thou should not vow, make a commitment, get a loan, than thou shouldst vow and not pay. The principles here, if you're ever wavering on a, on a purchase or a loan or the use of a credit card, our flesh can rationalize anything. We can take a bad idea, and at the end of the day, we've come up with so many reasons why it's a good idea. We've convinced ourselves. I've done it. Who, who here has done that? That's a tough question. You can answer it among yourselves. <laughs> uh, and then number eight, have a simple written Budget, which is a, simply a, a God-honoring spending plan. We're going to look at that in details tonight. We're going to show you how we want to get a clear picture of our income and look at what's currently going out, what has to go out, what is variable, and plan. Sim- simply by going through the exercise of looking at your income and looking at your expenses and looking where you could be, where you're possibly being inefficient... You can actually take control of your money, make better decisions, and improve your family's uh, financial situation. I'll share tonight, too. Uh, My wife's really good at shopping for different services, and we recently changed our phone and internet uh, and cable bill since TV's just about free. We don't watch it anyways. We saved $84 a month. We saved another $100 a month on something else. I'll... I've got that in my notes tonight. Now we recaptured $180 to work for us in saving and giving. God-honoring saving, a God-honoring budget. And this morning we looked at the biblical approach to money management. Notice it's not so much the how-to. It's really not the how-to. It's the heart, isn't it? And when we really embrace and live by the truth that God owns it all, He's the owner, He bears the burden, not us. I'm owned by God. God, would you just guide me? Would you provide for me this day? He promises to do that. And may your will be done. I'm your steward. Today's the day to redeem the time. I'm going to give an account of everything I've done. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste resources. I want to be faithful with the resources you've entrusted me with. Let's bow our heads in prayer.